0: I found a long time ago that the breakdown of the nuclear family is where a lot of these issues kind of stem from.
1: And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share. In the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. I come across those people who is like, this person is an amazing being, and you, know, you just want to learn a bit more about, about their story. Today, I have one of those people in the conversation with me. I have the CEO of 2020 Change, Duro Oye and he's obviously he's more than that he does so many different things with a massive amazing background that comes with it but yeah for the next hour we're going to learn more around how we came to be who he is doing what he does making the massive change that he does I think your company has influenced like over 1,100 young people since inception as well as obviously the film and everything else that you have done so it's inspiring
0: and powerful and it's a pleasure to have you today with me, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm glad to uh, enter into the conversation with you.
1: I always start off, I like to learn, I like to learn history, I like to learn. learn. So, <laughs> Young Duro, growing up, coming up, whether that's like teenage years, what was what was
0: what were their ambitions and the hopes and dreams there? Teenagers, I wanted to be an actor. I was well really on my way to to becoming an actor. I had an agent that was going to get me into theatre, and that was the dream. So, at secondary school, I took my drama GCSE very seriously. I went to a boys' school. And I'd always had a passion for creative. I had a wild, wild, wild imagination. So I've come up with stories for days. And that kind of helped in terms of my, my, my ability to lie and get away with things. And <laughs> <laughs> my ability to, to, to tell a good story, right? So I kind of took that from home into school. And then I, I pushed that into my drama GCSE. And I went, like I said, I went to a boys school. So I purposely wrote into the final year of production the story of a old, old grandma. And I knew I purposely did it because I knew that none of the young men that I was in the group with would want to play that role. And obviously knowing that you'd have to come out of who you are to be this character, I knew that in writing that I'd get the highest grade and being able to deliver and perform it and execute it, well, wow, I'll get the highest grade. So not only did I get the grade for coming up with the story, but then playing the most complex character in the story as well. So everybody else that was on my production got an A, and I got an A star. So wow. I could do Disney drama, and that landed me, my agent. And I thought, you know, this is it. This is the way I'm going to make it. This is this is what I want to do. So I went home, you know, African household, told my mum and my family what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And they weren't filled with the same enthusiasm and, ex- and excitement as I was. My mum wasn't happy. She actually called one of those family meetings together, gathered all my uncles and aunties and siblings and said, cause I'm the last, I'm the last of six. Right. Okay. Um, and she said her one ambition in life was to make sure that all of her children go to university because she never had the opportunity. And me being the black sheep of the family came with this wonderful idea of making it in a theater and enacting and not wanting to fulfill her dream of having all of her kids go to university, it's not going to happen. And I was adamant, so I was still as stubborn as I am now, still as strong-willed as I am now, so I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And then she started rolling on the floor and crying, and you can't, I couldn't say no to that. So, um, yeah, that's how I ended up going to university studying graphics and advertising. And, and I think my change in terms of my mindset and my way of thinking and the things that I was involved in happened at the university. So if I didn't go to university, I'd be living a very different life right now, doing very different things. So in being obedient and listening to my mom, giving her that picture on top of the TV with all the her kids in their graduation, gap helped, essentially helped save my life, you know, and it helped, helped me become the person that, you know, saying before you today.
1: What was it around
0: acting that stood out to you from a young age? Was it a particular film? The escapism, the ability to be able to leave my current reality and live someone else's reality. That was it for me. So even just from watching films to reading stories to putting myself in the position, putting myself in the position of the character's that I was seeing, that was a key thing for me. That was what attracted me to it. So you're the youngest of six. So,
1: were all your like siblings before you, were they doing? Had they gone to plan? They gone to university and guessing they were living a mm-hmm. particular lifestyle,
0: line to where your parents. Yeah, were yeah, friends. they were. They were relatively all comfortable. Gone to university. You know, had roles within their their industries. Were doing relatively well. So. If it was fun, but our, our upbringing is kind of fragmented. So my parents are now eighty-six and eighty-two, but very old. And like I said, I'm the youngest, so I wasn't expected. I was like the surprise baby that came along. I have four sisters and one brother. I have four older sisters, and then my brother came, and they were planted. That the plan was for them to stop, but then I came along. Um, hence my name, Duro, which the full version of it is Dura de Loire, means um, have patience and wait for the Lord. So if they had just waited, they would add up whatever, but it was a bit too fast. But, um, <laughs> I've just always been different, you know. So I've always I've been the one that's caused the family the most headache, the most trouble. Just always been an anomaly. So my parents sent me to the UK at the age of five or seven. It's all a little bit from me, to so live with my sister. Who was a nurse at the time, and she, she lived on a council estate, probably one of the worst council estates in the history of council estates in Broadwater Farm. We were very comfortable where I came from in Nigeria. We I mean, could land in Broadwater Farm. It was a real eye opener. So you could start to put the pieces together as to reasons why I, I preferred the reality of what I was reading in stories and watching them films and, and TV as opposed to the reality that I was facing on the day today, That's the history. I didn't even know you were from from my area. I didn't know you were from North. Well, from North, yes and no. So I landed in North. I didn't stay there for too long. I think if I'd stayed in North London for too long, once again, my story would have been different. Because I came to Wardle Farm Primary Boy School, which wasn't the best. And I was planning to go to Northumberland Park Secondary school, which also wasn't the best. I don't know any, and anyone, a, any, me, you know, I shouldn't say that, but people that I know that went to Northumberland Park aren't doing positive things in society. So chances are, I probably won't be doing what I'm doing now. But then again, with the school that I ended up going to in South London, that school no longer exists. It was that bad. But at least I can handpick. There's probably about five of us that are doing amazing things, doing well for themselves that came from that school. But I left North London at the age of 11, so just before I started secondary school, moved to another sister in South London. So she also lived in a council estate, but it was a better council estate. And then she was able to kind of work hard with her partner and move us into the suburbs of South London, semi-suburbs. It's like where or the black people go and they start making their money, but then everything else comes with you. So yeah, but it was still far better than where I would have ended up if I'd stayed in North London. So I wasn't there for very long. It was still kind of like early formative years. But I was raised in South London, so the person that you see before you I'm made of South London stuff <laughs> 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 So it's a sleep. So it's a sleep.
1: Obviously, you went, went to the university, you studied, you got the degree, got that kind of stuff. You you've got a role. You went into filmmaking side of things. You produced this amazing documentary about the inner mm-hmm. sea workings of you know, two Gantt and, and Brixton and Peckham. And if you're saying it now, it sounds actually crazy because I was on Brix recently I was like, this end of Brickson No. <laughs> This gentrified no. place where I walked out, there's a vegan store. And I'm like, Listen, this, is, this, is, this is not Brixton. But mm-hmm. those days, obviously, it's so another still exists. But those days in particular, yeah. it was really, really high crime, a lot of gang activity. Mm-hmm. And you create this documentary about people changing their lives. It was that illusion of we see things in a particular way, we create things in a particular way based on our experiences you've alluded to your life going into a different path because you listen to your mom. I don't even know what that life was like before
0: Before that. I mean, it's not even before that. So it's not like I listened to my mom and then my life still wasn't that. My life, my life still was that. So, you know, that age old saying, you know, being a product of your environment, which is something that I challenge now coming out of it. I believe in just saying that you're a product for your environment. I believe that you're a product of your choices because we all had choices, right? So I grew up in a loving household. I shouldn't have, I had no business getting involved in the things that I got involved in because my experience wasn't like the experience of some of the people that I used to move around with, meaning that. I didn't need to do the things that I was doing because there wasn't food on the table or because, you know, we had to struggle to pay electricity. No, I had everything sorted in that sense. But my issue was my eyes. And I say it to anyone that would listen. I had big eyes and I wanted things that were beyond my time, if we're being honest. So things that I saw other people having, why did they have that? Why don't I have that? And then moving from North London to South London, I was very influenced, heavily influenced by my, my sister's partner whom she ended up marrying He was very involved in, well heavily involved in criminality. What I saw, that was kind of like the only male figure that I saw, you know, him doing what he was doing and inspired, is a good term. I'd say influenced my choices because of his lifestyle. Right. So not to go too deep into it, but from the age of 12 to the age of 21, when I finished uni, I lived that lifestyle and I pretty much worked my way up through the ranks, got really, really high up in the ranks. And it wasn't until I went to university and I removed myself from the environment that I grew up in, removed myself from the friends that I was around that I really started to work on myself. And really started to do that internal work and meaning that what's the end goal here, you know, you came into this lifestyle to make money. You've made money when that money has come with issues and stresses and the money that you have now, you can't even do the things that you want to do with them, meaning that I couldn't just go out and buy a property because I needed to be able to prove where the money came from. So after a while. The cars, the chains, the clothes, the fancy restaurants and all of that. It doesn't do it for you anymore, right? So you want something more. You want something meaningful. And the people I was around as well, they were trying. And I seen them try and fail to use that money to build sustainable businesses. Over the years, it would always just come crashing down. So I had a choice to make. And then things started getting pretty heavy for the people around I was at uni, bear in mind they were still out on the streets doing everything that we were doing before. I was still involved, but I was more high level, so I wasn't on the ground getting man's day. So people started going to prison, getting double digit years. People started dying, very real. And people started getting deported. So they're the three options that laid ahead of me if I continue down that path. And I thought I'm actually wasting myself here. I also thought, I've never really applied myself to anything else. And I've always kind of prided myself on my mindset, my, my creativity, and just my way of thinking. And that's how I was able to advance in all of the questionable things that I was involved in. So I thought, I don't have the same excuse as everybody else. Because they can say that this is all they know. They can say that you know their parents did this. They can say that this is their only way out. That wasn't my story, and I thought I'm doing myself a disservice by not even trying. At least if I tried and it didn't work out, I can say, "Cool, I did try it, doing it, you know, the legitimate way," but it just didn't work out. I haven't even done that. And then my mum, she's a very prayerful woman. I feel like her prayers kind of shielded me and protected me. So the days that people go out and get caught up, I was at home or watching a film or chilling with a friend. So I'd always miss, I always had like near misses, like near close chances that I was there, that would have been it for me. So I came out unscathed, completely clean. And that's rare, you know, for being involved in at the level that I was involved in coming out, having, having the opportunity to be able to turn my back and say, I don't want to do this anymore without anyone saying that, oh you owe me this. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after your family. Just because of the level that I function at, it was a privilege. It was kind of that grace that helped me. And the fact that I didn't have a record. So I could, if I wanted to, right, just go out and be normal. I clean up my CV, go and get a job and rise up the corporate ladder. But obviously I was creative by nature and I took the creative route. Heavily fell in love with filmmaking while I was at university because I spent a lot of time on my own in my house, watching films, studying films. And then, like I said, my mom's prayers helped me, guided me. I also thought I hadn't been taking my faith seriously. I'd always do one foot in, one foot out. I've always been in the church, right? I grew up in the church. So at a point where I used to get forced to go to church, but then got to a stage in my life where I went to church on my own, of my own accord, because I started to build my own personal relationship. And I thought, once again, I haven't really taken this faith thing seriously. I can't say it doesn't work if I don't give it my all. I'm the kind of person, if I'm involved, if I'm invested in something, I'm all in. So I'm questioning myself. I'm questioning my way of doing things. Can I really speak on this if I haven't had the full experience? Challenge myself that by the time I finish uni and graduate and I go back to the area, I'm going to completely start afresh, get rid of everything that I made from you know, the streets. So all my all gotten gains because I knew that I couldn't do anything positive with them. Moved back into my mom's house, just, just start fresh and also give myself to the church. And that's what I did. So for the first two, four years, I was, yeah, two to three years actually, kind of just buried in the church, lost contact with everyone that I was involved in. I mean, I told them I was out. They all laughed. They thought, you know, you're going to run out of money. The money's getting to your head. You're going to come back. And they were all surprised. You know, I'm, I'm still here now, I'm 16 years in, you know, and, I'm, and, I, and I haven't looked back once. And I think what happened for me was a mindset shift and then surrounding myself with, I didn't even mean that, but I just got, I just got it. The senior your name. <laughs> but no, 100%, because that, that's, that's what it was for me. It was a mindset shift and removing myself from a particular environment, placing myself in a new environment, surrounding myself with more positive minded people. And what they did for me is they were able to recognize the qualities that I had and the qualities that I had developed and the skills that I had developed from doing a lot of the wrong things and show me how those skills are valuable skills that could be used in a positive way that could give me everything that I was looking for on the street. So it could give me that financial security, that financial freedom, that ability to drive the cars I wanted Live in the houses that I wanted and going to the fancy restaurants that I like going to every so often. So I was able to find a way to do that in a positive way. So I say that I made a semi-success of myself quite early on. So by the age of about 24, 25, I was comfortable making good money all in a legitimate way. But at that point, people still didn't know my story because I still look like I look now. Do you get it? So I don't look like what I've been... So unless you knew me from before, you would have known, you know, so I kind of put it upon myself to find more people like me that had those transformational stories, those journeys of people that once were one way inclined and then turned it around. And I wanted to share more of those stories. At that point, I wasn't comfortable and confident enough to talk about my own story because I was still transitioning. It was still too close to home. Do you get it? There was still... Things from my past that could have brought up and that could have brought me down, so I wanted to be so far removed, and I wanted, I wanted to have more than just a story. I wanted tangible results to be able to back up that story, meaning that, you know, I wanted people that have followed in my footsteps. So I wanted to have done something meaningful with my story, as opposed to just being another person with a transformational story. And it's like, well, you've changed, but what has that done for anyone else? You know, so when I'm speaking to young people, it's like, yeah, that's all good for you. You know, you don't have a record. You don't have this. But then if I'm like, this is my story. And then these are people that are close to your story and to your journey that have also been able to turn things around based off of my help and my support and being able to plug them into particular areas, particular spaces. You've got no excuse there.
1: What's well, it's important for you to tell transformational stories, because the school of thought that says, you've got out. You're living a completely different life. Therefore, you run as far away as possible. You don't want anything to do with it. But you intentionally went back to seek out transformation of
0: stories, I had to tell those stories. Because it was difficult for me to find people like me when I was trying to transition. I looked far and wide. And when I did find them, they weren't as supportive as I expected them to be, you know? So I think initially when we had an initial conversation, I told you that in the early stages of starting to make change change on my journey, aside from the people I met within the church, Everyone else outside in the community side of things that look like me, they weren't willing to support me initially because it's kind of like they're trying to protect what they've built and how far they've come. And you no, know, I get it. but I just felt like I wanted to change that narrative. I wanted to be an individual that if someone, you know, has a semi reflection of my background and my story. They can look to me and hit me up and be like, you know, look, Drew, I just need a bit of help, a bit of advice. I need some points. Could you connect me to that person? And, you know, I'll be in a position to be able to do that because it took me, because I I was still transitioning. And it's 16 years now. Started my organization in 2013. So we're nine years in, but it took me five years to build the organization from zero to actually secure it in kind of meaningful fund them to take the organization to the next level. And I don't think it shouldn't take that long. And if I can help anyone that has an ambition to do something meaningful for their community and for society in half the time that it took me, why not? You know, so I've already kind of done the hard yards just so it could be easier for the next person coming along. And my only ask is that they make it easier for the next person coming after them as well. You mentioned earlier and you have a this. <laughs>
1: the same things happened because yeah. you you went out through the documentary you had a massive and amazing film premiere and as usual everyone was like yeah you're gonna support you're mm-hmm. gonna back you and then it was just crickets nothing happened yeah. and yeah at that point in time cause I believe you still had a full time job
0: you spent the next no part, I wasn't working at the time the author, I, was I was working at the time no so made the documentary I had to leave my job at the TV station, just cause it, I couldn't do both. So I had a bit of savings and I had some supportive family members. So my brother, my cousin, my cousin's business partner, my lawyer at the time, her, her husband, they invested in, in the doc. So I put up half of the money. They put up the rest. We ended up spending about forty-seven and a half thousand on, on the documentary. And well, that was all the money that I had in the world. I was betting on the documentary to, to work. Or wanted to send the and give the film to new organizations so they can turn it into workshops, take it to schools, prisons, and, you know, work with young people that we were trying to reach young people that would be inspired by the young men in the dock. So we invited all of them to the premiere at Odeon Leicester Square, we had about 650 people there. The film was a huge hit, got a standing ovation. And then during the Q&A, I was like, okay, Joris, what's next? How can you help? What would you need? Told them. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Let's do it. But we went by, team went by, and no one responded to my emails or my phone calls. So I was just, I mean, sat there looking at the hard drive of the documentary on it. And I thought, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have to do this on my own. And bear in mind had no experience in social impact, charity work, setting up a community organization, anything like that. I was just a creative fresh out of film school, you know, with this documentary to my name. And I was just like, hey, I'm just going to go out alone, you know, and then and, and that's how the journey started. And, you know, we've just been, you know, <laughs> tugging away ever since. Need fear? Any, yeah, you know, any fear came up? like I said just invested
1: all the money you had into this it's absolutely received well amazingly cool no one gets back to you and at that point again most people were like okay this hasn't worked how I thought, let me go and get a job but you were like no I'm going to do something like this
0: hmm. I think my, my, my inspiration came from wanting to help young people the young men at the time that grew up in the same way that I grew up see an alternative way out and I didn't think there was anything at the time that could help those individuals that were in the thick of it really think about the skills that they had because everything else was always going to tell them to go back to school and to start again to start afresh and the young men that we were they weren't about to do that and I felt like that was You know, that became a deterrent for them wanting to get on these programs. So I wanted to give them an alternative to show them, look, this is your street CV, right? You know how you pick out keywords and strengths and weaknesses. Let's look at your street CV. We go into prisons and, you know, I sit down with people that were due to be released in three to six months. And they'll be telling me about their work CV. I was like, I'm not interested in that. What land did you have? How did you get here? And tell me I used to sell this, I used to go. I'm like, okay. So, at what level? How much did you sell? How much did you make? I'm drawing out key factors and letting them know that, okay, did you know that that's communication? Did you know that that's sales? Did you know that that's marketing? Did you know that that's profit and loss? They didn't know these things. They know physically what it means. But when it comes to like the business terms, no one ever showed them. So, as I just said, I'm like, you're great at sales. You're just selling the wrong product. <laughs> Let me give you a new product to sell. And you use the same formula and you're winning. So no one was able to break it down to them in that way. And I felt like I had a gift for that. At the time, you know, I started with the guys in the documentary. I didn't even know what I was doing was mentoring. I was just sharing knowledge and information that I picked up from people that supported me, passing it on to them. And yeah, it just kind of grew from there. And that's, that's where the motivation came from. So was there fear? Yes and no. There was fear in the sense that I don't know how long this is going to take for it for it to for it to take off. But in terms of security, I had a very, very strong support network around me. So my family, you know, my partner, everyone believed in me because I believed, right? They didn't understand what I was doing. They couldn't make, you know, sense. They couldn't make head to, head to the tail of it. But the passion and the drive that I had for it, they were like, do you know what, like, Yeah, because you're so passionate about it, will support you. So I sofa surfed, you know, I have two main sisters in this country that, that supported me. So once one got tired of me, I'll pack my stuff and go to the other. She'll get tired of me. And I just used to bounce back and forth like that. So I had minimal outgoings, you know, for the first five years, I had to kind of strip everything back there in terms of how much I was spending, I figured out a way to live and get by on the bare minimum. So all the money that I was making was going into the organization. And then I had like odd film jobs here and there, but anyone that works within the creative industry know that they're not sustainable. So you might get work for like three months, six months, and then it's quiet. So any little thing that I got, would always go into building up the organization, but most importantly, developing the relationships with the young people that I worked with. So over the years, we could say we've been supporting this young person for five years. This is where they were when we started working with them. This is where they are now. So yeah, that I just didn't know how long it was going to take. But once we got our first deal, that was when everything you know started to make more sense. Being in that this is real, we've. I mean, I knew before, but once we got you know some good money behind us, we could then start playing in the big leagues, like, you know, we're in amateur stages and semi-pro. We're just about popping our head into the, into into the Premier League right now. But it's been nine years and I was willing to do another nine, you know, but thankfully things started happening early on. Also progressing in my life as well. Got married, had a child, all of these things. Like I was saying to someone earlier, if I started the organization today, I wouldn't be able to do it in the same way that I did back then. Because, you know, I was, I was, was, you know, I was on my own, wherever I laid my head, my own kind of thing. I could move around, you know, I could work crazy hours. I I can't afford to do that now. And it just so happened that the organization's called 2020 Change, the events of 2020 Change really, the events of 2020 really just kind of propelled our mission to the fore and because we had that long history from 2012 2013 and we've been building it since then people have to take us serious because there were a lot of organizations that popped up post the murder of george floyd and the rise of the black Lives matter movement you know doing what we're doing now but they don't have the same credibility as us and you know i'm speaking to people now and they're like oh wow why, why am i only just hearing of you so that's partly deliberate because we wanted to keep our head down do the work and allow our work our results students all get but in order to get the kind of results that we're getting now we need the years we need to do the groundwork and young people are different you know you can't paint them all with the same brush they're all unique in their own right you really have to kind of get to know them you really have to invest in them you can't just cherry pick those that are going to be they're going to be okay on their own they're not the one young people that we're looking for for those young people that Everybody's kind of given up. Everyone said that you, no, no one can help you. They're the ones that we want because when they turn around, it's just like, what? How? So the more challenging the young person's past, the more excitement it fills me up with because I know that when that young person turns around, they can become pillars in their own community. So other young people will look at them and think, if he can change, Lord knows there's no for me. <laughs> nah.
1: If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. An Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it and in spotify the follow button should be just below the show's artwork now let's get back in today's episode it's powerful seeing and hearing that and even the importance of you need to build that foundation that foundation takes time like you can't I mean, so age saying you can't rush greatness but it's also so true because, like I said, the ones that come about the last two years, like, yeah, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, let's do this. You can see through it. Whereas the ones like your organization have been in the ground, working with people, you've got the receipts, you've built solid programs, it's there. And you spearhead to them that. Because this is something you said there where you like, if I for to do this again, I want them to, to, to do it because now I've got family and all that kind of stuff. I don't The house, not there. For me, in my head, I was like, yeah, but that's also a choice. Because the way you chose how things shaped out for you, even that right now, you're like, okay, now I have a family and I have children. I'm choosing how I'm spending my time. Because you can have people be like, I'm doing this for making, I'm changing lives and transforming people's lives. I can put all the hours into this. No one will complain about that. But like, no, I'm choosing to prioritize my time and my family.
0: No, I think that's important because I found a long time ago that the breakdown of the nuclear family is where a lot of these issues kind of stem from, right? So I can't be this community champion and saying I'm doing all of this for the community, but yeah, I'm not looking after my own, right? It's become a running joke because no one believes me, but I'm, I'm genuinely saying this and I'm saying this on this platform so people can hold me accountable, that when my kids... Or a school going age, I only want to work four hour days because I want to be there at least three days a week and get that caveat.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the caveat
1: coming out quick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> at least three days a week because I think it's important for me to be there as a, as, as a father, you know, getting my kids ready for school, picking them up from school as well, and also filtering the things that they learn at school. Because I also think that part of the issues that we're dealing with as an organization stems from the education system. Them not fully equipping our young people for the world and society as a whole. So as a as a father, I feel like mm-hmm. it's my responsibility to at least do that within my own household. Right. And then also teach the young people that I'm raising that they can also do the same and help them understand the importance of that. So everything about my life is a choice. So I planned for my life to be the way it is now I planned when I was going to get married, I planned when I was going to have my first child all of these things and thankfully thank God you know God's honouring those plans and things have falling into place at the right time you know and I just want to continue on that path so it's important for me to have a blueprint as to how I want to live my life and and continue to follow that obviously yeah life throws curveballs at you and know, I've had my fish but you know, you just you push through, right? And I don't need to. I don't need to stand on the mountaintop and shout about it and say, "Look at me, the proof's in the pudding." You know, like I, I choose how I spend my time. You know, I choose who I spend my time with. You know, all, all of these things. It, it feeds into who I am as well. You know, you become the people that you're around. You know, so if I want to, if I want to level up, I want to be around people that will help me level up. You know, at the same time, I want to inspire other people to level up. I need to make time to be around those people that I'm trying to level up as well. So there's always a constant evolution in terms of connections that you're making and where you decide to pour out and where you decide to be filled. What about connecting with the right people? So in the early stages, when I didn't have a name, I didn't have a platform, Eventbrite was my best friend. So I'll go into Eventbrite and use keywords that align with the topics that, you know, I knew that I wanted to discuss. So I find those events, I go to those events, but I didn't just go to those events as a passive, like bystander and just, you know, going there to, to take in information. I was sharing this with someone yesterday as well, that I was very strategic about the events that I went to the panels that I listen to, and I'd always ask a question and the question I'd introduce myself, talk about my name, organization, so that will register. And I'd always ask a strategic question that my organization or my work would be the answer to. So i would throw a question to the panel, you know, by introducing myself you know, take something that they've said. So you have to listen attentively to what they're saying. Take something that they've said, or maybe a question that they, they, they were asked that I don't feel that like they answered in the way that I would have answered if I was the one on the panel, spin that and say, I really love what you said there, and this is how we do it at 2020 change. Or this is, you know, you just have to be creative with it by taking in information and what that did for me is. I wasn't targeting the people on the panel. I was targeting the people in the audience. So, anyone in the audience that came to listen to the panel, you know, yeah, they'll be inspired by the panel. But then my question would really get them thinking is like, I never really thought about it. You know, and, and that's what you're doing. You've got to bear in mind this was back in 2012, 2013. So, lived experience and all these things that we're seeing now aren't the buzzwords. They weren't the buzzwords that they are now. So, people instead of darting for the people on the panel at the end of the event they'll come to me I'll be there with my business cards you know engaging and, and doing of that giving them my details and then I'll always follow up sometimes even on the community home I'll be following up on the train sometimes I might just draft the messages and then send them off in the morning and then you know that's that's just how I built my network and how I met some of the best mentors that I've had over the years and one One of the people that I met at those events still a key influence in my life. I call her my fairy godmother. She's currently still on my board, so she was with me even before we set up the organization. She's like very well connected, connecting me to amazing individuals and I got to find that there are genuine people out there that have big hearts you know that that want to do good, but they just don't know how. And they just need to be connected with people that can show them how to do good. And, you know, in my experience, those people didn't look like me and they didn't come from my backgrounds, but they take these issues that affect our community, like if it's their own. And for me, I think that's beautiful. And I and they have networks. So they'll introduce me to people within their network. And my only thing, the only thing that I needed to do is to deliver. And I'm good at that. So if you introduce me to someone, best believe I will deliver, I will make you look good. And for that reason, they keep introducing me to people and my network continues to grow. And as my network grows, the network of the young people that I work with grows. So a young person can hit me up now and say, Duro, I need someone that's that's involved in this. I'm like, yeah, cool. If I don't know them, I know someone within my network will know them. And now my virtual black book, getting pretty thick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He said these are people who are not from your backgrounds and you a lot of times that can present a barrier in itself it's like well why are they really going to want to either listen to me or how are we going to relate because we're so far removed come from two different worlds can I really then talk to that person and are they really doing this because like we said they really are invested in this and they really want to do something just don't know how or are they just paying loop service how do you, were you able to make that distinction and overcome any of those thoughts if you ever had any
0: those, I think it starts with you. So a lot of the, a lot of the points and the issues that you raised is that person kind of doubting themselves that like, do I have something to offer? Can I even hold a conversation with this person? You know, why would they listen to me kind of thing? I knew that what I was doing at the time was very different and I could present it in a way that could engage anyone. So even if you didn't have a vested interest in what I was doing, the way that I presented it to you, you'd be like, hmm, i never thought about that before. And that's enough, right? So I wasn't thinking, you know, there's this person doing it for the right reasons. Obviously, those thoughts come up now because of George Floyd and, and the black. But back then, that wasn't really a thing. You know what I mean? Why, why would anyone care about the plight of young black people? You know, but aside from You know, things that were hot topic then was, you know, gang violence, knife crime. And then you had the London riots. Maybe the London riots kind of piqued things a little. It's like, how come, you know, one of these kids felt like it was okay for them to just run into the shops and and, and grab things, you know, not thinking about the consequences, you know, because in their minds, they're they're short-sighted. They're not thinking, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get a criminal record and that's going to limit you to the mouth. Employment choices that I have, you know, it's just in the moment. You know, you got caught up in the wave of it all. So I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just thinking, I need to get out there and get my message out there. And I was willing to talk to anyone that would listen. So I wasn't thinking about, you know, uh, are they just playing lip service? Some people now are, but based on my previous lifestyle, my my BS detector, my BS radar is quite high. (laughs) so i can i could i can spot it from a mile off right and once i see that then you know that's the end of the conversation keep it amicable but keep it moving but in my experience the people that are well-meaning are well-to-do you can spot them from a mile off and i've been fortunate enough to come across many of them you know in, the, in, in, in my lifetime and like i said they have networks so they'll connect you with people like them 'Cause so that's, that's just how the circle keeps growing. And yeah, your name will get into rooms and places before you do. So when you arrive, you just have to make sure that you live up to, <laughs> live, live up to the hype. And what I've found now is you just have to treat everybody with respect because you don't know who's who, you don't know who's connected to who. So I, I treat everybody the same. I've met doormen at certain places that I go to that are connected to different people. And because of how I treated Doorman, that has got me an introduction to the CEO of the company just because the Doorman has a good relationship with the CEO. So I think that's a, it's an important lesson that I pass across to our young people as well. So it doesn't matter the person's title, doesn't matter where they're from, treat everybody with the same level of respect. Because at the end of the day, it's your name, it's your integrity. So when people are introducing you, they're talking about you there'll be less people that say, hmm, nah, no, not that guy. I have a bad experience with them. And obviously, because of the lifestyle I lived before, I'm always going to be a villain in someone's story. But my thing is, as long as I have more people that have this new experience in me than the ones that have the old experience of me, then I'm, I'm, I'm still winning. If are surrounded by five or six people, then it kind of cancels it out. You know, so that's just the way I see it. That's a good example of how
1: that Proverbs... 18th anniversary and if make room for you like that's, that's a real good, good play and um do you have any more desires to make the adventures i know you made more after that yeah do you have more desires to do something in the future
0: yeah no absolutely um it's a dream to go back to storytelling so many more stories that i'd like to share you know so many more people that i've encountered over the years People that are on our program, that have amazing stories. My dream is to be able to empower young people to be able to tell their stories in an authentic way that connects. So for me, it's not just about documentaries. It's about, you know, series. It's about films. It's about, you know, my imagination and and really being able to create the future that I, I want my kids to live in, you know, that visual representation. Them growing up in an environment where it's not odd for you to see black and brown people winning. You get it? So it's not just one or two of us up there. You know, it's just like, it's, it's a norm. So, how can we start to build that into every facet of society? And I think media storytelling is a key way of doing that. If you look at the way that young people consume, Information and how they consume the news and data. Media is a key way of doing that. So if we can start to influence people at any age through media and the stories that they're taking, it's going to become normalised. And then that's my dream. So it's not. I know these changes aren't going to happen overnight. So we have to start now to ensure that you know in the years to come we're not we're no longer having these conversations. It's just normal. Live your quotes. That's the name of the newsletter that you need
1: to subscribe to. Go on www.everydayleadership.co.uk. subscribe to Live Your Quotes. It's a bi-weekly newsletter that comes out with a quote with some information on how I'm looking at that quote, how that relates to my life to make it more real and authentic and come alive for you as well as bits and pieces. It might be books I'm reading. It might be some other content I'm tapping into and some bits and pieces around the podcast. It's a nice, short, succinct newsletter, which I know you're going to enjoy. But to enjoy it, you need to subscribe to it. So again, if you go to the podcast website, www.everydayleadershippodcast.co.uk, you'll be able to get access to Leisure Your Quote newsletter. Now let's get back into the episode. Have there been any major lessons that the young people that you've worked with have taught you over the years?
0: it has been several lessons. If I was to think of one right now, is that change is constant. We're all on this journey of change and all on this journey of self-discovery. So the juror that you met three months ago is not the juror that's in front of me today. You know, because I'm constantly growing and constantly evolving. And what the lesson that I've taken away from that is that you need to give people room to grow. You know, and you have to have the patience to meet people where they are. So as an older, more mature person, I can sit with a young person and recognize their potential, but it might take them some time for them to believe in that potential themselves. Right? So I need to give myself the patience and the time for them to be able to step into that potential on their own. Because then I also think back to my younger years when my teachers would tell me, Drew, you, know, you have so much potential? and You shouldn't be hanging around with these kids. i want to do a potential. Can I take that to Barclays? And then I there It's <laughs> there's, there's potential. Can I get £1,000 worth of potential, to make a withdrawal? It didn't make any sense to me. You know, it's not until now that I'm older, I'm a bit more mature. I'm looking back and I'm like, okay, I get it. So it's that element of giving people room to grow. And that's where the name of the organization even came from. So people ask, oh, 2020, so when's 2021? Are you going to change the name? But it's vision. It's perfect vision. People say, you know, the saying goes, hindsight is always 2020." So in hindsight, if I knew better, now that I know better, I can do better. But that knowledge that I have now, I can pass on to the person coming after me so that they can do better. You know, so I have after ask what it is, and that's one of the key lessons, and, and I'm learning that every single day, you know? I love that. It's a different
1: perspective. Someone's asking me the other day, like, I've so been married for 60 years, I've been watched together for 20. It's like, what's the secret? And the secret is constantly creating that time and space to be introduced to the new people that we're becoming, because we're constantly growing, constantly learning new things about ourselves. And what tends to happen is a lot of times, you're still looking at that person from a year, two, three, four years ago, and that's why you can get miscommunication. If you create that space to get to know each other on a regular basis, then you're always aligned and you keep on growing together. That's why I love that, that example you just gave. What would you want to see happen when you think about that vision, You're a very vision-driven person? You see what's currently happening right now with society and the youth, in particular, that rise in you know, gang culture, but the robbing and all that kind of stuff. So it's been an
0: increase. What would you want to see happen? i want to see that mindset shift. I want to see that mindset shift in the lives of those that are carrying out these crimes, you know, and do these violent crimes and robbery. One thing that one of my mentors said to me early on while I was transitioning that stuck with me and challenged me was that a thief is a thief because they believe that the other person they should have what the other person has right, so let me break that down he said to me, he said you're wanting to take something from someone else because deep down you feel like they don't deserve to have it, and you deserve to have it but why is that, you know are you indirectly saying that that person has the ability to make money and buy these things whereas that ability doesn't exist in you of course it does so why don't you do the work to earn the things that that person has as opposed to you going and taking it so me once again this is my stubbornness coming in i think you wait hold on a minute they're not better than me do you get it like yeah they worked and they have money so why can't I do that you know and have I even tried to do that and then it's a case where it's like, if you've tried and no one and things haven't worked out and things haven't panned out, maybe you need to keep trying and try harder. That was just my way of processing. And that's why I say it's that mindset shift. If you feel like your last resort or your only resort is to go out and commit crime and, and, and take this, what's the end goal? How far is that going to get? You? And then from my experience, what I've noticed. Anything that you acquired, you know, ill-gotten gains, can't build any anything with it. Give me an example of anyone that you know that you know lived a life of crime, robbery, theft, whatever you want to call it, and has been able to build an empire of the back of that that has stood the test of time. You can't, because no matter how long their run or their reign is for, all come crashing down. And then people are now talking about, thanks to Jay Z and all the other billionaire rappers out there, talking about legacy, legacy, legacy. Right? What's your legacy going to be? You know, and if you haven't built the built your legacy on a solid foundation, it's going to come crashing down. So no matter how long your reign is, no matter how long or how far you go with it, it's all still going to come crashing down. So it's that mindset that needs to shift. So don't just tackle the problem by saying, oh, this person's a violent criminal. We're going to lock them up and lock them up for several years. Nothing changes within those several years apart from the fact that they meet more hardened criminals and they learn new skills and then they come out and do it in a smarter way. And then that cycle continues. We need that mindset shift in the lives of those involved in that. They need to be able to see themselves differently, and they need help. They need people to be able to help them do that. That change and that shift is not going to happen by itself. I needed my mentor to show me that perspective of a thief and someone that that taught stuff that didn't belong to them. Because it was like, well, why should you have it? Why don't I have it? And now, as I've grown up and I'm more mature now, I can understand why. Back in the day, it was kind of a street cred thing. No one can't come to me and and, and, bog me back. Do you think you are like I'm going to stand my ground? But please, do you know how important my life is? Do you know how many people you know need me? Uh, everything that I have is insured, so if you want, you can take it. I have another one tomorrow. I even get the latest version of it. So please, by all means. Be... So when you start to think about it, it's just the mindset is different. Like the things that people go out and buy, that's not their be all and end all. But when you come to the streets, that's your grab. Do you know, you've got the big chain. People need to know and respect you and that was the same you know like having a big chain on the streets and having the confidence and the boldness to be able to walk down the street with the big chain and knowing that nobody can't step to you and take that but all came with it but now listen my life is too valuable i even have the big chain no more it doesn't go with my look <laughs> so everything is just different it's a mindset shift and if you could if we can help our young people grow through that They'll do exactly what we're doing now. They'll look back and they'll just laugh, thinking so stupid. You know, I was ready to waste my life because of credibility, <laughs> you know, just to look a particular way. So yeah, all of those things, it's childish when you think about it. And when you're able to sit down with a manner, a reasonable manner, let them see it from that perspective, things will start to change. And for me, I know that we can't change everyone. I'm a farmer. I'm a seed planter. I just plant the seeds keep it moving. Someone else will come in, water it, pick it happen. You know, so everyone's at different stages. You just have to meet them where they are. I'm gonna continue spreading my message. If you want, take it. If you don't want, one take it, that's on me. You don't stop me from spreading the message. You are
1: a leader. And I know you don't like that term. It makes you feel a little sudden. But that's who you are. That's who you are. Naturally speaking, you're a leader from day day into now and you've always been you my leader.
0: What does that term for me to you? It means many things, but I'll I'll take it in terms of a leader of people. I, I didn't crave position I, that I'm in. It's not something that, you know, I woke up and said, yeah, I want to I want to be, be a leader in my space. So it was something that was thrust upon me. And I stepped into it because the responsibility is placed on me to do better for those coming after me, right? And people see me as a leader, see me as a role model. And I'm, I'm at a stage in my life now where I don't shy away from that because I recognize the importance that it carries. When I think back to my own journey, Thinking if I had someone like me early on, show me your ropes, things would have been very different. So for that reason, even if I don't want to, I kind of have to. I think before we started this recording, I was like, this, this is the life I chose. I can't complain about it. You no, know, I can't. It, it's like, even if I complain, no one will listen to me. Because if I went to my mom, she would say, who sent you?" If I go to my wife, she would say, you like it? And I'll sit down and be like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got to take it, you know. And So that term leader, for me, it means a leader of people. It means someone that has responsibility. That takes a responsibility for those that are coming after them. And it's that same way that that responsibility is placed on me, I place it on those coming after me as well. Because we just have to make the path easier. We have to make that transition smoother for those coming after us to the point where when we talk about our stories and we talk about our journeys, it's unbelievable. You know, I am living proof that change is possible. You know, and each and every single one of the young people that we work with is exactly the same for them as well. Anyone can change. In the right kind of environment, anyone can thrive. And that's, that's what leadership means. It's powerful. The quote that reminds
1: me of you a lot, which is, as John Maxwell said, in a life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you because we know is can't always predict or the intention around the second we start with finding ourselves and that's just like the choices that we choose to make define who we are day in, day out. And the choices that you have made have not only set you up to live a completely different life but to have such a massive impact on the lives of so many more people coming behind you. And you keep on opening that door and creating that part. And it's amazing to to hear. And I look forward to you. A legacy play from you. I don't know, <laughs> see that unfolding because I know there's so much more coming out of you. It's coming, it's coming. Now, thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy. All links to 2020 change and all of the wonderful work that I and the organisation are doing will, will be available in the show notes. People can definitely tap in to what they're doing because, like I said, it's, it's inspiring. We need more and more people like you now more than ever. Step in the leadership see you next week while you're still recovering from that amazing conversation let me give a quick preview of what we've got coming up next week make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out when you own it when you're the founder of it you, you approach it very, very differently and there's a level of care and detail that you have that level other muscle was going to have